My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. When we think of our life with the Messiah, what, what comes to mind? Well, we should recognize that he is, he is our life. Without him, you know, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We have the foretaste of, of the blessings. We have fellowship. We have just the joy, the, a heart that loves the scripture. All because of Messiah? What's that? All because of Messiah? All because of Messiah. Yeshua, Messiah, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, yo. It's Wednesday, December 12, 2018. This is Messiah Matters number 245. Fully rested with more work to do than ever. My name is Caleb Hegg. And I've got that snow shovel out, ready to clear walkways, driveways, cleaning off cars. I'm Rob Vanoff. Yes, you are. What's up, brother? You got you guys got snow already? I'm telling, yeah, I'm telling, well, it melted off this last night. It's weird, but yeah, I was shoveling snow, man. Buried it. So can I tell you that, uh, you I know, I love that Barry, man, bear sat, bear tone sax. You know that, that our, intro. uh, our good friend, Adam, Adam Smith, he, uh, he got himself a, like one of those snow plow things. Awesome. You gotta be careful with those things, man. He said he could hit his neighbors. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> That's awesome. For one of a, a friend of mine was now it was probably, I don't know, 10 years ago or so, but he there was snow packed and he reached down in to undo the snow and it took the tip of his finger off. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No. So be careful, Mr. Smith, with your fancy snow blower in Montana. Well, actually they get like eight feet of snow. Right. I mean, his snow blower is probably just creates a tunnel. Exactly. (laughs) So it's, it feels like it's been a, a little while since uh, we've been in this, uh, in in the in the host chairs, yeah. Why is that? We we had a show last week. Uh, no, we didn't. Well, we did, but we didn't. It wasn't oh, live. That's right. We record. Last week was pre-recorded. That's, right. that's why you're right. That's why it feels so long since I've listened to our intro. Yes. Beard it. Beard it. Pretty that good. Well placed baritone sax riff, man. So, um, yeah, it has been a little while. Last week I was down in Newport Beach. It was a fantastic. Uh, we had a we had a really good time. A lot of prayer, a lot of a uh, lot of discussing. My wife and I talk all the time anyway. But uh, now it's it's interesting trying to come up with because my wife and I are going to do a show call and we've named it Growing in Messiah. And probably in the next couple of weeks, you'll be able to subscribe to the YouTube channel, Growing a Messiah. We have a Patreon page that we're creating called Growing a Messiah. And uh, so the this is, unlike Messiah Matters, the difference between the show that's coming up with my wife and I is that my wife is a planner. I am not a planner. <laughs> I'm the kind of person who's like, okay, I got an idea. Let's flip the switch and go online. My wife is not like that at all. She's like, okay, well, let's plan this out, you know, and, and she's very metic- meticulous. Yes, it's, it, it is good because it's, it's much different than me. Um, so we already have, I think, our first two shows planned out. And uh, I have some interesting things that I'm going to give away to people who support the show. It's, uh, it's going to be good. I, th- I think it's going to be a, a really interesting, uh, interesting show. Much more focused on like... Uh, uh, relationships, building relationships in the body of the Messiah. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm very excited. We'll probably have, we'll probably launch everything next couple of weeks, maybe the beginning of January. Um, but we're, we're gearing up for it. So we're super excited and we hope you're excited too. Anyway, so what, what better place to do a planning session than down in Newport beach? I mean, you just don't get better than that. Have you ever been? I bet the weather was nice. It probably was not snowing. It wasn't snowing, however, for two days. This is interesting. For two days, it torrential downpoured. Now we were there for seven, but it torrential downpoured for two days. I told my son, who's only six, 
I told him, I said, uh, well, son, we've been in San Diego for their entire winter. <laughs> he didn't get it. Um, okay. So yeah, we, we have stuff to talk about while we were in New, while my family was in Newport beach, of course, everyone else, well, most everyone else was celebrating Hanukkah. And, uh, by the way, I'd like to thank everybody who sent Hanukkah cards to the Torah resource office and to me personally. Uh, I love getting the notes and the pictures of people and the cards. It's, uh, it's, it's a blessing to see, to see these things come in the mail. Uh, you know, when I was young, I always wanted somebody to send me mail and now people do send me mail. I get as, just as excited as, as ever. Um, before we jump into this, if you'd like to send us something, you can send us an email, send us an email at, oh, wrong one, but that's okay. Um, cheggatorresource.com. It's cheggatorresource.com. For those who don't know, by the way, you can also send Rob emails, rvanhoff at torresource.com. Um, and then you can also give us a call. Oh, wait, that's my email address. I'm sorry. I'm pressing all the wrong buttons. 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. Let's not forget that this show is brought to you by all of our wonderful supporters. And uh, we thank every single one of them. Uh, if you'd like to become a supporter, you can do so at torresource.com and uh, have access to Messiah Matters More, something that we need to record for. Um, it's a secret page where our supporters can go and see extra content. And then uh, in the next week or two, we will have new, uh, new art up for our executive and associate producers. And so keep an eye out on, the, uh, on those pages if you want to become an executive or an associate producer and get your new uh, mug with the new art on it for the winter quarter. And yeah, we thank everyone who helps support us. Okay, with that said, I, I figured out what makes my, by the way, I figured out what kicks off my allergies. I know I'm talking a lot about things that don't really matter, but it's this light. It's got a cover on it. And when the light turns on, it blasts out all this like dust and it just, it gets my uh, allergies going. Get okay. up in there and clean that out. Man. I know, I probably should throw it in the wash or something. Okay, um, so Hanukkah. I'm going to say a couple of things that struck me about Hanukkah and then we're going to read an email and then you can at any point interject things that you thought of during Hanukkah. So I believe that Yeshua celebrated Hanukkah. So I think it's a good thing to celebrate if he did it. If, if it's good enough for Yeshua, it's good enough for me, right? Mm -hmm. um, the one thing that I don't like is that it's become very commercialized. In other words, like it's the replacement for for Christmas to everyone in the United States. Oh, you saw. Oh, you don't celebrate Christmas, Hanukkah. To me, it's like the most minor of holidays. My family doesn't give gifts on Hanukkah. We give gifts on Passover. My family doesn't really do much on Hanukkah. We don't like really get together. My parents really like it. They wanna, um, you know, they want to get together and and spin the dreidel and all that kind of stuff. My family basically we light the candles at nighttime. We might play a game of dreidel or something, um, but really the kids just want to play the dreidel so they can eat the chocolate. <laughs> um, but to us, it's not really that big of a deal. It's kind of it's a very minor blip in the in the screen of of our of our year. Um, and one of the reasons why is because obviously it's not commanded by scripture. And I think that I think that a lot of what's traditional in Hanukkah is is responses either to Christianity or to society around. So for instance, you know, by the time gift giving in Hanukkah comes around, the Christians have been giving gifts at, at, at Christmas for, for a very oh, long time. Yeah, that's established. Yeah. We know that by the end of the 1800s in America with the rise of Christmas cards, you know, that became a new industry, Christmas cards. Yeah, Hallmark, right? Hallmark and helped us do all 18, that. In the late 1800s, and what happened is that it wasn't too long that... Hanukkah cards started right. following that right. there was a market for there and uh it really was a minor holiday you know uh prior to that I mean it really became a you know I mean I think even uh secular Jews think about Hanukkah as like a significant part of the season you know it's one of the big ones in, in yeah in, where, in where before Judaism, yeah. uh you know just over maybe 200 years ago it it didn't have that. So, well, and then, I mean, you know? I mean, lights, the festival of lights. Why is it the festival of lights? Well, you know, I'm not saying that, that necessarily it's a, a takeoff of Christmas, 
but uh, we know that, you know, lights were being well, used. This calls it a fest, the festival of lights. So oh, even I didn't know in the that. first century, you learn something new yeah. every day. There you go. Um, okay. Anyway, what's the email about that? Is it a Hanukkah related email? Uh, kind of. Yeah. So my small group during uh, on Shabbat last week, we sat down, we read uh, first Maccabees one through four, which is the story of Hanukkah. And by, you know, by the by, the by if you haven't read uh, any of the apocryphal works, I got to say, you know, the the letter of, of first Maccabees is, is actually written very. It, it's like an action movie. It's it was the action. In my opinion, it was the action movie of the first century or prior second century BC. Right. I mean, it's like uh, this guy came in and he slaughtered. What's the what's the, what's the one with Bruce Willis? And it's die the hard. Yeah, it's like <laughs> it's like the die hard of the of second, the century, second BC. century BC. Yeah. And, and it, I mean, it really is. Well, you, hey, real quick. You called it. a Did you call it an epistle or a letter? Letter. Yeah. Well, okay, it's real. It's not like First and Second Corinthians, right? It's, it's no. I'm I, actually, to be honest with you, I was thinking of Second Maccabees. Second Maccabees, there is Second a letter. Maccabees has the letter. Yeah, good, good catch. Right. So Second Maccabees, First Maccabees, and Second Maccabees are not written Rip. by the same people. Right. Yeah, I knew that were written at different times. But you're, Caleb's right. The Second Maccabees is starts out with a a letter, and what's the letter? We're writing to you, Egyptians, right? Jews who are in Egypt in Alexandria so that you'll keep the festival. Right. Yeah, right. Exactly. It, and here's why, it, right. you know, we know that you want to celebrate this festival and here's why you need to. Uh, whereas first Maccabees is a uh, different history. It's a telling of some of the same events and some other events, but good. Um, That's cool I, that you guys read it. Did you say a blessing before and after? Uh, we did not No. Um, and honestly, I think some people were a little hesitant which is fine, you know. That I, it's like, but, are we breaking a rule? Well, I think it was more like we study the Bible at small group. That's what we do. We <clears> get <throat> together yeah, yeah. and we study the Bible. So why are we studying Maccabees? However, uh, you know, historically, it's it, it's. Uh, I think it's it's fun to read, and I think it's it's a good tradition to read it during that season. And since Yeshua celebrated the the festival of lights, um, I think you know. I think that uh, I think that it's fun and important to, to do. Um, however, I, I we just my only I'm not putting anyone down, by the way. I don't want anyone to. Oh, you're doing it wrong or oh, you give gifts. You shouldn't be doing that. No, my parents, you know, we went to my parents house on the eighth night of Hanukkah. They gave us gifts and um, and we gave them gifts. Uh, it was, you know, it, it's it's a fun time. I'm not telling anyone they're doing it wrong. I'm just saying that for my family personally, it's not as big of a deal. You know, it's not this huge blowout Christmas celebration, kind of a, you know, replacement Christmas celebration. It's very minor. Let's light a candle or two and, and uh, we will say a blessing about how God sustained our people. And when I say our people, I mean the, the elect of, 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 of Yeshua, right? Um, and also at the same time have, has sustained the, the people of Israel and the nation of Israel. And I think that that's all good. Let's look at this email. This came in this morning about 15 minutes before we came on air. Uh, so hot off the press. Hot, hot off the off electron the That's right. uh, highway. That's right. She says, uh, my husband and I enjoy listening to your show every week and discussing the different topics that you talk about. Last week, someone, I think Rob, mentioned the topic of the Maccabees forcibly circumcising people, and it was brought up in a negative context. I think uh, he compared it to what Paul was speaking against in the epistles. I'm curious, though, how the Maccabees circumcising people was different than Joshua circumcising people. Or would you consider Joshua's actions in a negative context as well? Thank you so much. Shalom, Hannah. Uh, Excellent. Is, yeah, cool. is a, I, thanks for question. the email. Yeah. Agreed. You want to go first or you want me to? Well, who's the... I, it was me who said it, right? Maybe I should go first. Go. Um, I, I, I love it when people email and ask us about what we've talked about. And I love it when they ask questions that show where I might have not been clear. And so I, I like the opportunity to clarify. So I think it's in first Maccabees. We read right at the beginning where they went and they went throughout the land and circumcised all the Jewish boys that had not been circumcised. Right. We could, you could, that's not the fourth circumcision that I was referring to. So, 
what we could talk about that one and say, well, what they're doing is they're going and marking because Hellenism had creeped in and they wanted to, uh, you know, there was a campaign to clarify who's in and who's out, right? right? Who belongs. And we need to go and, and make sure the, the mark of the covenant people is clear. And so they went and did that. So, um, that's not the event I could, un- I can totally understand why someone would read that first Maccabees and think that that's what I was talking about. I'm talking about what we learn from later historians, Josephus and another, uh, Ptolemaeus or something like that first century who talk about later of the Hasmonean dynasty, particularly it's, uh, John Hyrcanus the first, and then uh, Aristobulus the first after him are recorded in history as having gone right. They're already established their, their kingdom and their boundaries. What they've done is they go into another land, right? They, they expect their, they have a political motivation to expand their empire. And so what they do is they go in and they conquer a people force circumcise all the males and say, now you are Judeans and you owe, Jewish, you owe taxes, and et cetera. That's what I'm talking about, it, where it's not a conversion to faith, but it's a it's an expansion of empire, and it's imposed. Right. And we have that at least, um, Idumea was one of them, and Ituria, I think, was another one. There might be a third, where, in other words, where, uh, what I was talking about with forced circumcision in later Hasmonean dynasty which I think would be third or fourth generation. So right around 100 BC, basically. Expansion of, of empire over new territory, just going through all the males and saying, and circumcising them. Not It's not a matter of faith. It's not a matter of even the Abrahamic covenant. It's political identity and power. It's done at gunpoint. Yeah, yeah. And so that is, that is obviously uh, is a hijacking in my view of what the covenant is of the mark of the sign of the covenant. And so that adds confusion that adds noise into the messaging that goes out to the whole world. Um, and, and you get into Josephus where you have like the, the foreign King who's um, he's got some Jew Jewish advisors are telling him to be circumcised and others are saying, no, don't become circumcised. Right. There's already noise. There's already enough noise by the time Josephus is telling stories that it depends on who you ask, what opinion right. you're going to get. And that's what's so wonderful when we read, for example, Romans 4, Paul just gives it precisely and clearly. This is what circumcision means. It hasn't changed. It's a, it's a, 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 he associates it with Abraham's faith and a, and a sign of, of the Messiah. So anyway, I hope that's, thanks for the email. That That's so, my best. Okay, let me, let me weigh in, let, let me weigh in re- real quick here. So the, the difference that I see between the Maccabean uh, going and for, forcibly circumcising people and Joshua and telling the people you oh, can't, Joshua, you can't, you right. can't enter the lands before you, you uh, are circumcised. If, if a person didn't want to get circumcised under Joshua, what did they do? They left. They went and they went and uh, became a Hittite, a Philistine, uh, whatever. They weren't part of the covenant. But they, yeah. but they, they were, they were not. Somebody didn't put a gun to their head, say, "Drop trow, and we're going to do this right now." No, it, it was you still had a choice. When the Maccabees came in, they put a gun to your head, well, a sword. They put a sword to your to your neck and said, "It's if you're male, it's we got the knife. You have no choice. Either do yeah, it or die. We're gonna, we are gonna mark your body. Now, with with Joshua, it's a commandment. God says." make flint knives and go circumcise and there's still a choice I, though what's that there's still a choice though if the people of israel didn't want to do it yeah. they could have stayed in israel well, or in I, egypt but the text never the text as far as i my reading of it is that no one everybody was on board because they believed in god they, of course. they were yeah so uh, but yeah there is i do see a difference i'm glad that i'm glad you brought that back up kill like i lost sight of that part of her question um yeah it's it is different um be, because not, I, any, I mean, because the, the other place where you have circumcision is in Genesis 34, right? You have the sons of Shechem. And that's even shown to be wrong reason. 
they, they, they all got circumcised for the wrong reason. And not only did they get circumcised for the wrong reason, you know, there's a whole Shimon and well, Levi we see, went we, in and killed them all. And, and we see the same thing. In, we see the same thing in, in, in modern uh, America today, right? The fact of the matter is, is that a significant portion of American males are circumcised. Why? Because the Bible says so? No, because they, they, they've they made it into a health issue or a cleanliness issue or whatever. It has nothing to do with the Abrahamic covenant. That The majority of of, of modern uh, American, even Christians, was tell you, no, no, Paul did, did, did away with that. We don't have to do that anymore. So, I mean, it, it's a bastardization of what, of what uh, God has given. It's unfortunate because now everyone, you know, it's mixed signals. Yeah. It, it's, there, there's it's a, nothing, there is nothing, uh, uh, there's nothing that's sanctified about it anymore in, uh, in America. You just expect that, you know, uh, now maybe that's being pulled back a little bit in American culture, you know, but the fact of the matter is, is that for the most part, um, growing up, all of my friends were circumcised and that was, that was just the way it was. Um, and it had nothing to do with religious reasons. So, and I think that, that I think that that's unfortunate. I think it should be done for religious reasons and only religious reasons. Um, there's quite a, a discussion going on in the chat room currently. Um, I don't have it on. I'm being disciplined, good, so I can't. I'm, sadly, I'm so tempted. <laughs> let me bring you. Let me bring you up to uh, up to speed here. Uh, someone has said, "Well, uh, uh, Hanukkah has uh, pagan origins." Uh, pagan roots, and uh, no, that's not true at all. In fact, there's there's absolutely no evidence of that whatsoever. Not only is there no evidence of it, um, but the first witness that we have is in First Maccabees, and in First Maccabees, the story of the uh, of the Maccabean revolt and them coming into the, and rededicating the temple. This is in, Ma- in First Maccabees four. They rededicate the temple. They celebrate for eight days. Now, certainly the the uh, the legend of of oil lasting for eight days that doesn't come around until the the Talmud um, that's legend and has nothing to do with the actual story of Hanukkah but certainly Yeshua you know and I I heard this I've heard this several times in the past couple weeks I said well Yeshua celebrated Hanukkah no he didn't he just went up to the temple and was walking in the portico um, look at the context of, of of what of what Yeshua is talking about in the temple during the Hanukkah season he he comes up and he's talking about his deity. He comes up. He he heals the man. Well, first he says you, uh, your your sins are forgiven. They say no one can forgive sins except for God. And he says, all right, you want to see that I have power to heal him? What's what's more important? I can say just as easy. I I'm paraphrasing, of course. I can say just as easy. Get up and walk as I can. Your sins are forgiven. Get up and walk. Dude gets up and he walks. And then what do they do? They pit, they say, "Oh, blasphemy! You are uh, you're putting yourself on par with God. Uh, you are a blasphemer, and we're going to kill you." So let me get this straight: Yeshua is railing against the Pharisees constantly. His mission is not necessarily against the Pharisees, but obviously it's against religi- religiosity instead of um, instead of true one-on-one personal relationship with God. He comes into the temple during a quote-unquote, I'm putting, for those on on the radio, I'm putting quote marks around this, a quote-unquote pagan festival. Now, Yeshua has our, you know, before before, uh, the Passover comes about, he comes into the temple, what does he do? He knocks over money changers and and tables and everything, says, you've made my father's house a house of, of thieves, Okay, so you're telling me he's walking in the temple during what is supposedly a pagan festival taking place in the temple. You didn't say anything to him about it. Oh, you guys are good. Keep on celebrating the pagan festival. I'm not going to say anything about that. Instead, I'm going to heal a man. Is this really the story that these that that people are going to try to to um, uphold here? No, he was obvious. He, by the way, Yeshua is all over the place in in uh, in the desert, all over Israel. You telling me that he comes back? just for a festival that he's not going to celebrate, doesn't say anything to them about it, and what's recorded is a, is a, uh, a healing? I'm sorry. No. It, it makes zero sense. He obviously was in the temple for the festival of Hanukkah. And this is why John mentions it. 
Um, so uh, clearly, I think Yeshua celebrated Hanukkah, and I think it's ridiculous to say that Yeshua is celebrating pagan festivals. It's it, it, the the, uh, the notion that has my, been my personal read on that is that Yeshua. Okay, what there is a you can you can read that first part of John ten as a criticism of Jewish rulers that had come prior, right? Because he says he talks about hirelings. He talks about those who try to come in a different way. And then he talks about being the good shepherd, right? Or right. The, the, the door for the sheep and they hear his voice. Sure. Well, well, if we think of that as kingship, he, how, well, what about the Maccabees? Does he, does he like the Maccabees or not? You could ask. Well, I think Yeshua can endorse and celebrate Hanukkah with respect to they are priests. In other words, he can accept that they were priests and that this victory was given by God to reclaim and purify the temple. But what happened? What happened over the, the generations? They made themselves kings as well as priests. Right? Their power went to their heads. Right. They didn't just stay priests. They brought kingship. And on themselves. And and the ultimate fruit of that is Herod the Great. Now, Herod was not, uh, right, the Maccabean line was ended by Rome. The Hasmoneans uh, lasted, what, you know, four or five, gener five, six generations. And then Rome came in and ended it. And there's a time where there is no king. And then Rome installs Herod. Well, Herod is, even from first century reports, was called half-Jew. Because he's he comes from that for, that expansion that forced circumcision into Edomia, right? So he's got Edomite and Jewish heritage mixed together, and he's placed as king. And of course, we know that uh, that kingship is not really uh, a king because when Yeshua is born, Herod wants to kill all the the baby boys, you know, the young toddlers in Bethlehem to try to kill the Messiah. Because the true king. Right. So when back to John 10, when when Yeshua is talking about those shepherds or those people who have tried to get in and, uh, you know, wolves in sheep's clothing, they try to get in some other way except through the door or their uh, or their hirelings and they flee when the when the danger comes because they don't really care about the sheep. You know, all these things, I think we could read that as a as a way of understanding the recent you know, second temple political history. So I, I think Yeshua can affirm the celebration of Hanukkah at, on the, the priestly level and simultaneously reject what the Maccabees became in uh, arrogating to themselves the kingship and then this expansion policy and mass force circumcision and which re led to ultimately to Herod, you know, Rome coming in, Herod, and then the building of the temple up to where it's just totally wrong, you know, and that's back to the money changers, you know, you've made it a den of thieves. So anyway, I, you know, first of all, um, to the person who is, is continuing on in the, in the uh, chat room, if you want to bring any evidence whatsoever that uh, Hanukkah has pagan roots, I would be more than happy to. Well, to, that, to is that just the claim? Sorry, yeah, I don't like it. That's the claim. Time. That's the claim. Um, okay. So when you make a claim just for the person to hear um, yeah, we need to have primary source evidence, not, and that's not an encyclopedia entry or a website that or is fossilized customs by Lou White. Yeah. It's none of those. What we need is, is, uh, evidence from, uh, that is from it, it, well, to, because Hanukkah is so old, you'd have to have evidence that it's older than the than Hanukkah. And then you'd have to demonstrate dependency. Uh, and that's that's a tall order you're, uh, that you're making for yourself. So I encourage you to to do the work. You know, do right. do, do the homework and and share your share your findings. Back to I mean one one last point on the idea that that Yeshua didn't celebrate uh, Hanukkah. I this is such an interesting argument to, to me, and and one of the reasons why is because you know I've I go every once in a while uh, to the Greek Orthodox Church here in 
in uh, Tacoma. Now, I don't go uh, for what you might think. I They have different festivals that they do, Greek festivals and whatnot, and my family loves to go. And and uh, it's, it's fun to not only go and, and interact with the people and see some of the Greek culture that they bring with them, um, and of course, eat their food. Who I mean, who doesn't like a good gyro? Um, but uh, also, to to we we've made uh, we've become friends with the uh, Greek Orthodox priest down there, a lovely man actually, and and uh, and I like talking theology with him because he has a very very different perspective than uh, pretty much any Christian that I've I've ever spoken with um, because of the I mean if. And for those who are into uh, church history, uh, obviously the split between the the Eastern and Western churches and the Greek Orthodox versus Catholicism is is an interesting and fascinating study. With all that said, if I were to go and uh, sit in on a uh, Christmas celebration, you know, if I go up and I sit in on a Christmas celebration uh, at the Greek Orthodox Church, and and uh, you know, I I think that most of the people in the Hebrew Roots movement who say that that uh, Christmas is or, or that uh, Hanukkah is pagan would say that I shouldn't do that, that I should not go uh, up to the Greek Orthodox Church and sit in during a uh, a Christmas celebration. However, when Yeshua goes and is in the temple during Hanukkah, oh, that's totally fine. He's just he's just there. So it, it seems to me, and I could be wrong, but it seems to me that, that, that it's a little bit of a different, a, a double standard in terms of uh, participation. If you go and you're, and you're, what does it take to participate in a festival? Obviously, Yeshua went up to the temple during the Hanukkah celebration. If you're saying that it's pagan, how is he not uh, participating in it any more than I would be if I went and sat in the back row? Well, at Christmas the argument celebration. would be, well, he goes up to the temple in many place times and teaches in the temple. Absolutely. So that just happens to be, so but it wasn't, it wasn't on his, uh, I understand. And, 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 and I, I, I'm saying that that's fine. But the point is, is that if I'm just going to go up to the, I go up to the Greek Orthodox church somewhat, you know, I mean, not on a real often basis, but I go up there from time to time. So if I'm sitting in the back row during a Christmas celebration, is this, I mean, is this going to be seen, is this, would this be frowned upon? I have a feeling that most would say, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't, because that is in some way participating. Okay, so what you could say is what you should, because you're just sitting there though, you're not teaching. So if you, if you started teaching and you had a bunch of people listening to you and they were there because it was Hanukkah, where are you just leveraging? Are you just looking for a place where there's going to be a lot of people? Well, and this right? goes back to your comment about the uh, about the Chabad uh, menorah light, uh, Hanukkah lighting. You know, and which what? no one heard except for us because this oh, is oh. before the show. But the uh, you know, uh, Rob and I were talking about the idea of should we go to the Chabad Hanukkah lighting within the for those who don't know the the ultra orthodox Chabad who believe that Schneerson was the Messiah have a have a Hanukkah lighting in pretty much every major town and city in the United States today, including a, well wherever probably wherever they across the world wherever they've got enough inroads and to do that you know well there's one here in Tacoma uh, there's one in Seattle of course there's a lot of obviously. Um, and Portland, Oregon, there's, they're all over the place, but, but there's a, there's a big one down in the town square of, of Tacoma, Washington every single year. And so we, uh, Rob and I were discussing, should we attend these kind of things? Should we, and I think that there, I mean, you can make a case for both sides. Um, but the, the idea is these people aren't believers. They believe in a false Messiah and they're celebrating Hanukkah, maybe in a way that we aren't going to celebrate it. Um, but the, I mean, the point is, is what does it take to celebrate with the Chabad? Well, it depends. Is, is it going to be sitting there and listening to a Chabad representative teach Chabad doctrine? Or is it just, we're celebrating, you know, Hanukkah, you know? Right. Um, I, I don't know. I think it could go both ways. But anyway, the point is, is that I, I still don't think that my, my point is. The way, well, what, the way I would think of it is like this, like if you were just a good old evangelical Christian, you know, you love Christmas and Easter, right? You're all in and you go to a mega church, let's say, and then in your neighborhood, you know, the Mormon church was going to have a big Christmas tree lighting and you're like, Hey, it's Christmas. I'm going to go, I'm going to go, go be at the Mormon, uh, you know, Christmas light tree lighting. I, 
my gut, now I haven't interviewed anybody about that, so I don't know, but my gut feeling is that people would say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to, I, I'm going to limit my, my Christmas celebrations to like people I know or my church. Right. Is that. So, yeah, it, I mean, let's bring it back to the conversation at hand. Honestly, let's take Yeshua out of it. If you want to say that you sh- there's no evidence that Yeshua celebrated Hanukkah. Okay. You still have to, I mean, the, the claim that, that Hanukkah has pagan origin, prove it. Give me any, any shred of evidence. Let's let's see it because I've seen these these conversations uh, take place before. Uh, the problem with the Hebrew rooters who want to say that Hanukkah is, is pagan is they have zero evidence. They're just going to make claims. I, anyone can make claims, okay? Um, anyone can. The earth is flat. Up claim. Oh, you made a claim. It must be true. That's not the way that claims work. Someone said, "I I have to confess, I was so drawn into it. I had to I had to join in the discussion." So, I knew, uh, I knew, I knew. Says, I disagree. Wrong. I, I think they would show up for a Christmas tree lighting anywhere. You know, that's probably true. I mean, uh, because they're secular, isn't it? Like the Times Square, like oh, yeah. downtown, yeah, uh, New York, they have one. I mean, that's kind of a a secular Christmas tree lighting. I think I've I've seen it on TV. Um, I've never seen the actual lighting, but I mean, I've seen pictures of that giant t- tree. You know, um, and that's. That's totally secular, right? I, my, oh yeah, my assumption. Yeah, so so why not? You know why not? Well, the fact that it's Chabad doing the the Hanukkah, the giant Hanukkahs, uh, um, is that it's not secular. I don't want to put any, their I, mission. I mean, they're on mission. That that's the thing is that's why I brought in the the Mormonism. Uh, don't don't uh, take that lightly. You know, just like the Mormon missionaries that I had a pretty intense discussion with two young elders. That one was 19 and one was 20 the other day while I was out in the front yard. One of them <laughs> oh, got no. upset at me. Oh, I got to tell you. Oh, God. Oh, anyway, that's another story. I want to hear. I think we all want to hear. We all want to hear. We all want to hear that story, by the way. We'll, we'll get to that in just a second. Go ahead. No doubt, Lena. It is Giro, not Giro. Oh, my word. Okay, we're getting way <laughs> off track here. Let's go to the story about the Mormons. I haven't heard this. Let's, what, oh, what okay. Happened? So I, what was it? I, I, was out in the front yard and two two guys came up and uh, started asking asking questions. Anyway, I, we talked for about forty five minutes. But during the course, I was just asking questions. One of them, the younger one, got upset at me. You just think we're idiots. You're just did you, you know you yes? disrespect my sacrifice out here for forty five minutes. And I'm I looked at him and I'm like, you came to me. <laughs> yeah. And and I'll, I'm just asking questions for clarity. And he's like, you're right. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was like, it was, it was crazy. But they were trying to say, oh, we're just out here trying to draw people closer to the Lord. And so I'm like, okay. I'm like, you know what? We share a lot of the same words like Messiah, you know, Bible, things like that. I said, but, but we don't mean the same things. When we're so, talking about it. And so so I, I don't want anybody to think that I was being uh, uh, disrespectful. We actually know a significant portion of, of people within the Messianic and Hebrew Roots movement who came out of Mormonism um, and, and uh, are, are wonderful believers in the Lord. I'm not trying to put anybody down. And uh, I've done a lot, of, a lot of work as when I was young. I mean, this is 25 years ago, 20 years ago, 25 years ago. Um, I did a lot of work. Um, trying to uh, bring Mormons to uh, faith. And, and, and um, one of the frustrations I have with Mormonism because of my experiences in that realm is that, and, you know, actually Gary Springer has, uh, is the person who said this to me. Gary works with us here at Torah Resource. Um, he said, and, and he hit the nail on the head. It was like a, a breath of fresh air when he said it. He said, uh, you know, in my experience, when the Mormons come to my door, they're not actually trying to, um, if you're, if you're going to put up an argument that they don't have an answer to, they'll listen, they'll seem very receptive, but it's also that they can take it back to their, to their bishop or to whoever, and then they'll have an answer for it next time. And they'll I really, right. Yeah. I'll, they're just trying to learn the territory. Right. They're yeah. trying, they're trying to learn. Um, and I'm not saying that that isn't, uh, that, that that isn't worthy of us trying to 
discuss with them and show them the light. The Holy Spirit's the one that that uh, softens the heart and brings, uh, you know, brings His truth to people, um, including me. I mean, I, I had a hard heart at one point, and the Holy Spirit softened it. So I'm not saying that we shouldn't try to share the truth. However, one of the things that I found in Mormonism is that the because the teaching is um, begins at such a, a very young age, it is very ingrained. It, it's it's super ingrained, and so um, you you can't be of the faint of heart uh, when trying to discuss and, and talk. Well, here can Mormons. I give you an example of one of the things that came up, and maybe you tell me from your experience. They said, I said, so they said Jesus died for everybody. And so I said, so everybody, I said, so is everybody saved? No. And I said, okay, so Jesus died for everybody, but not everybody's saved. So what's the gap? Well, the gap is, and the, one of them gave the idea, like a teacher went around the classroom and gave donuts to all the students, but some students didn't eat the donut. That was the way they understood it. And I, and I'm like, well, do you realize, so that means that you leave, you're leaving donuts God made donuts, right? To, or right? You got Christ shed blood that ended up just being wasted because, because nobody benefited from it. That means his, what you're saying is the implication is his blood is in, his, in and of itself is insufficient to accomplish. And so it, but basically said, well, this is what it is. And it, it was crazy that what Jesus did died for was so everybody could be resurrected. So Jesus died so everybody would be resurrected, but not everybody who's resurrected will go to whatever. They had these different levels or whatever. And I asked about Hitler. I said, let's just assume Hitler died a, a, a wicked man, unrepentant, wicked man. Um, is he saved? Or would, would he go to heaven? And, and they don't like say in heaven, and I know this is a complicated issue, but basically they said, well, Hitler, it would be uncomfortable for Hitler to be in the highest levels of heaven because he, he it wouldn't be comfortable for him. So, uh, so, so he, he would be in a place where he's comfortable. We could and I do, said, so God cares about Hitler's comfort? We could do, we could do a whole... Oh, it's just, dude, it's, it got so twisted and weird. We could do a whole show on Mormon doctrine. And, and, the, and uh, the, the interesting thing is that if you just read the Book of Mormon, it's pretty dry. It's kind of, it's the story. Basically, in the Book of Mormon, what happens is, is uh, Yeshua comes to America. And he, you know, he had a campaign in Israel. Then he came to America and, and had a campaign here in in America. And uh, it's quite dry, but there's not a huge amount of like, oh, no, theology within the Book of Mormon. There is, oh, no, theology in the Book of Mormon. Please don't hear me say that. But really, it gets weird when you, Mormonism gets really weird when you get into the Doctrines and Covenants, when you get into the Pearl of Great Price, the teaching of Joseph Smith the Prophet. Most Mormons have never even read the, the teachings of Joseph Smith the Prophet. Um, and when, well, when they, the, oh, he said that the, our Bible, cannot be trusted because it's got bastardization, sorry, this is the word he used, bastardizations all over it. Right. But then he'll cite, like, the New Testament. Well, and I'm like, well, how do you know that the verse you're citing to me is one of the bastardized uh, verses or not? They Because they believe in their KJV well, only. because their continued revelation by their, quote, prophet, like, right, the whole difference between the Book of Mormon in 1830 versus the Book of Mormon in, you know, the year 2000, for example. Why these differences? Well, because we got new, better, clearer revelation. Oh, and then he told me he was a prophet, one of these guys. So L lowercase p yeah. prophet. So, so uh, I was just like, that, wow. let's 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 slow down for a second. One of the going back to the idea <laughs> of heaven. Uh, in in Mormonism, there is no hell. There's three heavens. There's the heaven of Jesus, which is the lowest heaven, and that that's what we would think of as hell. Well, they they said <laughs> celestial. Yeah. So, terrestrial and then <clears throat> celestial or something right like that. so so but making it easy for people the lowest one is is uh, the lowest realm is Jesus realm that's the hell realm in our understanding the middle realm is the Holy Spirit realm this is for the average person um, that that you know that might have believed a little bit but was kind of a jack Mormon and then you have the uh, the, the top realm which is the father's realm and of course the father son and holy spirit were all people at one point on their own planets that reached the level of godhood and were given their own but of course satan and jesus are are uh, fighting their brothers 
um, in, in Mormon doctrine. And uh, they're fighting. And it gets into really, really, really very odd and very, um, very twisted theology. Um, and honestly, to, to be completely frank with you, where it comes from is the same place that Scientology comes from, which is storytelling. Um, Joseph Smith was, was a, 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 not a very good writer, and his, his writings kind of were uh, not accepted. His fictional writings were not accepted either, just like L. Ron Hubbard. Uh, well, L. Ron Hubbard was a, a good fiction writer, right? I mean, he he was accepted, but he had his he had his his groupies that everyone, everyone liked him. Um, but but Joseph Smith really found fame when he started doing what he said said was prophecy, um, as opposed to fiction. So, um, and of course the <laughs> Scientology. Oy vey. Uh yeah. Anyway, we could do a whole show on Mormonism. I don't know if people are interested in that kind of stuff or not. Um, one of the things that I wanted to mention before we go on to another uh, uh, topic, uh, due to the generous donation of one of our supporters and listeners, uh, Rob and I have enough money to travel within the United States. And so our idea of doing a Messiah Matters tour uh, is coming to realization. Now, we've been invited to Oklahoma and I need more. That might be the first place we go. I need more information from the people. I, uh, you know, it, basically, people need to start sending emails to my e- email address, which is in your show notes, by the way. Um, if you would like Rob and I to come and play some music, chat a little bit in front of everybody, and then do some Q and A, and and just have a good time, um, let us know. We we have uh, at least money for. Uh, for plane tickets, at least most of the money for plane tickets, so it would be extremely cheap for any group. Um, I said on one of the shows that there needed to be at least like 30 people. All I meant by that is we would rather, uh, we would like to come and visit everyone, but going and sitting in a house across from, you know, two or three people might be a little bit uh, more. <laughs> I, it might be nice to have a couple of families together. Well, we want, we, we want to be efficient and maximizing our our reach and so it's an opportunity to to help but in every way we do want to help build connections with local people among uh, between local people right and so that if you know the idea is we come and and when we leave there are new connections locally among uh the body and that maybe we'll bring some like-minded people together and get them connected for local uh, gatherings and worship, etc. We have a we have a special guest in the, that just entered the chat room. Nice to see Lex Myers from Unlearn in our uh, chat room. Welcome. I think it's the first time we've seen him in here. Uh, and then uh, Researcher Fifty Five says that he'd bring us to Australia, dude. I will go to Australia as long as I'm not in the bush and I don't have to see any snakes. <laughs> I'm I'm on my way. Let's do it. Um, anyway, so if you would like to uh, set something up, if you'd like to talk about setting something up, uh, by all means. Uh, shoot me an email, chegatorresource.com. Here, I'll put it up on, on the screen for everyone. Is this my, yeah, there's my email address, chegatorresource.com. Let us know about how many people you think you would want, uh, or you would, you know, could fit in your house or would come to your house, or if you have a congregation, that's really all we're looking for is, um, and then, you know, uh, just basically when you would want us to come and, uh, we'll start, we'll start planning this kind of thing. I think it would be really, really a fun thing to do. So, um, anyway, yeah. Okay, let's move on. Here we go. Um, we have a couple of things that we can talk about. And here's another one. Now that we're done with our Hanukkah talk. This is um, possibly, well, do we want to go to disobedience? Right, let's go to disobedience. Paul, who's a good friend of mine now because I met him in Ontario. See, this is one of the reasons it's so much fun to travel and, and see people is because we uh, put faces to names and, and emails. And so it's really good to, and uh, you know, Paul was just such a blessing. Uh, it was so, such a blessing to meet him and, and his wife in, in, uh, Ontario. Uh, that was, that was really great trip trip. We met some really, really, really great people. And I hope to make it back up there sometime soon. Um, so Paul writes in and he says in reading Romans eleven thirty two, and he's quoting from the ESV here, he says, for God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. That's the end quote of the, uh, Romans. Is Paul saying that God wills us to be disobedient in order that his glory will be revealed through his mercy? Okay, this is a great question. Let's take a look at it. 
And uh, let's look at context first, because as so many people say, context is king. Um, so I'm going to start in Romans 30. And the, I mean, I think most people in the Hebrew Roots and Messianic movement will know the uh, the context of Romans 11. It's quite a uh, heavy-hitting uh, chapter within his letter to the Romans. Let's start in verse 30. He says, For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that, that by the mercy shown to you, they also may not now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Do you want to start? Okay, I'm glad you read the context. The specific question is what? Can you wrap up that last sentence of the email? Yes. Um, he says, is Paul saying that God wills us to be disobedient in order that his glory will be revealed through his mercy? Okay, is it, is it God's will that people sin so that he can then show them grace? Is right. that yes? That's how I'm understanding it. So I w I wouldn't use the word will. The fact is, we are sinners, right? And so, uh, and the fact is, God. And this is back to Romans five, for example, that uh, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. I think that's Romans five. Um. So, so to say God wanted people to sin, I don't think is a, a, a good way to, to think that. I don't think that's a biblical idea. So, we, so it takes us then, what does this mean? That God is, has uh, shut up all into disobedience. All here, in, in my view, is contrasting. It doesn't mean all mankind it's it's including Jew and Gentile both, right? Those in Israel who have rejected the gospel initially, right? And then those who have received it. And so the the context here is that um, Paul's writing to those in Rome. He's gonna he's saying, sure, there are at present Jew Jewish, you know. Uh, offspring or whatever of the, you know, stock of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who have heard the gospel and rejected it. Do not write them off. It's not for you to say that they are, um, uh, you know, outside that God has rejected them. That's not for you to say that. And Paul can say, use himself as the example of an Israelite who had rejected the gospel and fought against it. And if, if that was true, if such a person was cut off from God, then Paul himself would have been cut off from God. Right. Because Paul, Paul post Yeshua, right? Ascension, Paul hears the gospel and rejects it and fights against it. And by God's grace, he comes to faith and becomes a powerful voice for the uh, new believing communities. And articulating the covenant of Abraham, understanding the proper place of the Torah, et cetera, et cetera, for Jews and Gentiles. So what Paul's point is here is that if you if there are Jews in your neighborhood, maybe in Rome, right, that are adamantly rejecting what you're sharing with the gospel, do not cop an attitude that you somehow are holier than they or that somehow God has rejected them. Because Paul himself is evidence that that's not true. You have to show mercy. So you can have I, to you continue to pray. You continue to do you know to to hold out hope because that's the whole back to the whole you know God is able to to graft them back in again. So one important part of this context is this is this aspect of this larger flow of Paul's argument of preparing enthusiastic believers to handle the difficulty when people who are of the covenant people reject the good news of the covenant king 
right? Uh, how do you handle that situation? And that's what that's a core piece to this. So for me, and uh, actually Helen, also a wonderful person who it was wonderful to meet her in Ontario as well. Helen asks, why would why did God uh, you know allow sin anyway? Um, so this goes back to my actually one of the things that I taught in Ontario. Um, I, I believe the first thing my mind goes to in this passage in Romans 11 is the question that many who hold to Arminian theology pose, which is uh, to, they pose it to people like myself who hold to the doctrines of grace. Oh, so you think that we're all robots. And what, what I see in the entire salvation story is the fact that God did not make us robots, that God gave us choice. And that we chose wrong. So in other words, God could have made us all robots, right? If he wanted to. He could have said, you're going to do exactly what I want you to. And, I, and, um, and I'm going to make you do what, you know, you're going to be my puppets. But instead, God said, I'm going to give you the choice to follow me or not follow me, to be in communion with me or not to be in communion with me. And that was the only time I believe that there was true, free, free, I'm putting quote marks around free will, um, when uh, was Adam and Eve? They had free will to choose or not choose to eat the fruit to go against what God I wanted. I suppose you could. I, I understand why you're saying that. I would even refrain from using the word choice. Here's why: because the word choice isn't there. What he does, he gives a commandment, right? And they disobey. They 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 listen to the the serpent's voice and obey the serpent, basically. Right. And so, what uh, and then try to blame off their own responsibility. They try to deny their responsibility for disobedience. That's the core right. uh, piece there. And so, and here's the other, here's the other thing is that um, once we come to faith in Christ, once we come to faith in the Messiah and, and we are now being sanctified unto him, the question is, is do we become robots? The answer is no. If I did exactly what God wanted me to do, I'd never sin. I, I would just, I would become a believer and boom, I would be sanctified unto God fully. There would be no work that needed to be done in sanctification. But no, I have will, I have will, and I go against what God wants. That is rejection of God's grace. Um, and so this is kind of where I think uh, Paul's heading in this, in this verse here. But uh, let's go to my father's commentary in the book of Romans which you can find on Torah Resource. There's a link to it in the show notes. And this is from his, on this specific passage. He has a very short uh, paragraph on this. He says, this verse not only is given as a necessary explanation to the two previous verses, but also as a fitting conclusion to the entire section, which is chapters 9 through 11. The verse gathers the two words of the previous verses, disobedience and mercy, concepts found throughout the entire section of 1915-1823. Joining to these the idea of God's utter sovereignty in his action of shutting up all. This must mean that God, in his all-encompassing providence, has allowed the elect to walk in disobedience in order that they might fully appreciate and seek his mercy. Thus, Paul makes his conclusion in a veiled exhortation. Number one, Gentile believers must not think that Jews who pr uh, presently disobey the gospel are beyond the reach of God's mercy, just as Rob has said. He is able to show mercy to all. Number two, there is no reason why those who have the hope of salvation should despair of others who currently reject Yeshua. They ought to leave room for God's mercy to be extended as he plans. And number three, Amen. this is the fundamental thing, mysterious though God's ways are, and dark and indeed forbidding though they may sometimes now seem to us to be, the end of them is mercy, mercy pure and uncompromised. I think that he hit the nail right on the head. Um, and not only that, he's kind of layered all <laughs> what what Rob said and what I said. Go ahead, Rob. Well, you could look at the initial commandment to back to gar back to the garden. The commandment of what to eat and what not to eat, we can understand that as mercy, right? That that reflects God's mercy. How? Because he's saying he, he's reaching out and holding out what is good and warning about what is evil and the consequences of it. Which is, I mean, what what would be unmerciful? would be, huh, I'm going to put, you know, um, there's that tree in there and I'm not going to tell them about it, right? 
I'm going to have the, I'm going to have a hot burner on and I'm not going to tell the child about that not to touch it. Right. Right. So, so we have to understand his commandment is also an expression of his goodness and his love. And that's what was uh, rejected. And so no one in the end can look back and say God was unmerciful or that God didn't do what was right or that God didn't do what was just. There's no, no one uh, is going to be able to say that. You know, we should have named this show off script because we've pretty much been off script almost the whole time. Uh, everything from Mormonism to <laughs> emails sent 15 minutes before the show, which is fine. I love it. And uh, I hope that some people have enjoyed it. We got a lot to talk about before the end of the year. Uh, and the emails keep rolling in, which we are extremely grateful for. Uh, we're so happy that people are part of the conversation with us. And we'd like you to be part of that conversation as well. If you'd like to be part of the conversation, please go ahead and give us a call. You can call our comment line. Uh-oh, there we go. And uh, the comment line is just that. It's a comment line. You won't talk to either of us. You won't talk to an operator or anything like that. It goes straight to a voice message. You can leave any voice message you want. You can yell, scream. You can say how much you love the show, hate the show. doesn't matter. Uh, the comment line is there for our listeners to be able to speak their mind. Um, you don't have to leave a name. However, we always appreciate it when people do leave names so that we, uh, you know, we put a voice with at least a name. But you don't even have to do that. You can also shoot us an email cheggettorresource.com at cheggettorresource.com. Actually, I should put this back up here for those who are on the radio and or listening on podcast. Our comment line is 253-465-3205. I'll give it one more time. It's 253-465-3205. Okay, well, like I said, we do have a ton to talk about. And uh, so uh, join us next week as we do one thing. And that one thing is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua, the Messiah. Why? Because Messiah matters. 